You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Roy Thomas, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Avengers Episode 3A, and we're going to be covering the first half of the Avengers epic collection called Masters of Evil. This is Volume 3, and we're going to be covering a period of Avengers from June 1967 to March 1968. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Avengers co-host, Chris Russ. And today we're going to be covering Avengers 41 through 50 and Avengers Annual number 1. I quite enjoyed reading the first half of this epic and seeing uh, not only Roy Thomas develop how he's going to be carrying his uh, his storylines, kind of the, the patterns that we'll see uh, throughout his run on Avengers here, but also seeing John Buscema's early stuff. I don't think that I've ever really paid much attention to John Buscema's really early work here. Very very cool. Yeah, it, it's really incredible, uh, you know, especially to watch just how quickly he develops, um, even from the first couple of issues he appears in in this epic collection, just to the even the midway point where we're at halfway through this epic collection. It's really amazing how, how quickly his art progresses. It's incredible. And then these two issues that he inks himself are just outstanding. Yeah. Couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think those, yeah. I think that, that um, little arc we're going to get into at the end of this episode, I think those are maybe the best Avengers issues we've gotten to thus far in the 60s yeah that's very true i i would agree the last half of this uh this episode the magneto story and the hercules story are both quite good and then uh, i can't wait to get through the to the masters of evil because i hear that that's where it just kind of ramps up yes yeah as as um Busema and thomas just keep rolling things just get better and better and better and you know as it rolls into the next epic collection epic collection volume four um i think that's you know one of the peaks of in all of avengers history when you get the introduction of the vision those Gene Colan issues, yeah. the Barry Windsor Smith stuff. I love, I love that stuff a lot. But amazing. And this this epic collection, epic collection volume three, is also a pretty easy jumping on point. Um, you don't really need to know too much going into it. In fact, on the splash page of the first issue, there's there's a little remark that says we were gonna begin our um, tintatabulating tale with the usual synopsis, then remembered that there's nothing to recap. <laughs> so so, and that's not quite true. There are some things going on. So Hercules has joined the team um, at least has uh, is staying at the mansion now uh, no but officially he hasn't on, he on hasn't joined stuff. yet that's right yes so he's just hanging out with the team and kind of moping about the mansion but uh, and and this is the Hercules of uh, of a fable uh, so it's not some uh, modern day man dressing up as Hercules it is the Hercules uh, and uh, other than that I mean they kind of rope you in on everything you need to know as you go through the story I think the only other thing you might need to know is that the black widow, is uh, acting as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and is traveling abroad on a mission to defeat some communists. And people think that she's a traitor right at this point. Right. So Hawkeye is very depressed about yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. He does as well. Or at least he doesn't know what to think. 
And there's stuff going on behind the scenes with Captain America. He's currently not on the team as this volume begins because mm-hmm. he is... Uh, what's happening over in Tales of Suspense? He's just having some issues with the Cosmic Cube and Red Skull. Right, right. So he's he's not really active. Um, and his his whereabouts are kind of unknown to the team at, at various parts as this is as this collection starts up. I, I Like I said, I think in one of our last uh, couple of episodes, I, don't, I think the best epic collection to jump on is either... Volume 4, which has that vision introduction in it, or uh, the Under Siege volume, that epic collection, because that has some really great Roger Stern material in mm-hmm. there as well. But this is not a bad option uh, either. It's, uh, you know, it's it gets really solid. There, there's a couple of spots in this epic collection that drag a little bit. We're going to probably get into a little bit of that today. Yep. But it's certainly not terrible, and it is a uh, easy spot to jump on. So if you happen to have this epic collection or, or can find it cheap, this is certainly not a bad stuff, spot to jump on the Avengers. And especially for those people who, you know, don't appreciate or just don't like Stanley's verbose storytelling, uh, jumping onto volume three kind of bypasses those years. Uh, we're, right. we're past the Stan years. And even Roy Thomas, by the time you get to this halfway point, he's still sort of mimicking what Stanley does and how Stanley writes, but he's starting to have his own voice. And the way he's starting to, to tell his stories is a lot different. And I'll point that out as we get to the Black Knight issues. Right. Yeah, there's some things he does just in terms of his plot structure and storytelling that is really great and is beyond what Stanley I think would attempt to. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. The other note about this epic collection is that as this book progresses, I always like to go and look at what, what else is Marvel putting out at the start of this epic collection, so in, you know, in 67, and then what were we they putting out in, in 68 at the end of that? There's a big change. So at the if you look at when Avengers 41 came out, they were only putting out Marvel about nine superheroes titles a month and then by the end of it they were up to about 15 superhero titles so at that point Captain America had his own book Iron Man had his own book all those kind of double titles were split out into their own um, so S.H.I.E.L.D. had their own book Submariner Doctor Strange Incredible Hulk uh, Captain Marvel so the line had really started expanding and the Marvel Universe was really blowing up by the end of this volume so it's a very transformative time in a Marvel history that this book kind of dies nice yeah and you don't get a huge huge sense of that just reading these issues because this book stays pretty close to itself i mean it makes references to uh, check out this story for iron man or check out this story for thor but for the most part it doesn't really touch on the comings and goings of the, the wider marvel universe right yeah that's that's a very good point so yeah so uh you don't get that impression in this but the energy around the marvel universe i think is definitely ramping up yeah um and i think and i also think that these books are and i love the stanley stuff so don't get me wrong but the storytelling does mature a little bit even just in this volume and you can kind of see that yeah Well, why don't we head over to our issues now, and we're going to start with issue number 41. This one's called Let Sleeping Dragons Lie. And in this issue, Giant Man, I'm not sure if he buys Dragon Man or if he somehow arranges to become the custodian of Dragon Man, who was an android that uh, was created. Now, was he created by the Mad Thinker or was he created by Diablo? I think, if I'm remembering correctly... 
I think he was created by a scientist, and then he was animated by Diablo. Right, yeah, 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 that's right. And that was in the pages of Fantastic Four. Right, because the Fantastic Four go to, like, a university, yeah. and then they're, like, visiting, and then they see this thing in a lab. And, yeah, 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 that's right. I'm remembering that now. But anyway, so Diablo finds out that Giant Man has taken Dragon Man and follows him and decides to take him back. And they have this big, big plan, a uh, big, big battle in his lab, and he eventually kidnaps Jan in order to blackmail hank into doing what he wants him to do yes um and and like we had kind of mentioned at the start of the episode um we get also insight into the the black widow's adventures um uh, as she is kind of infiltrates and then is kind of captured by uh this foreign nation um and we learn a little bit about the psychotron the psychotron this, uh, <laughs> the psychotron which is a great name um which is this weapon that kind of tortures people's minds and makes them hallucinate i think kind of they don't really get into the specifics of how this works but no the science is uh... <laughs> makes people see things that aren't there <laughs> it, it they describe it as um having all of your nightmares but uh but experiencing them when you're awake yes yeah yeah so yeah uh so some a kind of psychic warfare uh, is what, what this weapon is supposed to be setting in typical Avengers fashion, we start this uh, issue as well with a little bit of infighting, uh, which has been one of the themes of these early epic collections, is that these issues always start uh, in kind of a, surrounded by technology in the Avengers mansion somewhere, and the Avengers start uh, fighting with each other, sometimes uh, literally um, kind of <laughs> battling one another. But And this one has a purpose because Hercules is kind of the new person, and he doesn't quite have a grasp on how to interact with these people. Uh, he's not mm -hmm. necessarily friends with them yet, and so... Yeah, yeah, he and Hawkeye, of course, have a little bit of a clash. And they have a clash because Hawkeye has a temper and Hercules has an ego and they yeah, don't go well right. together. Yes, kind of, uh, kind of naturally clashing there right away. I uh, we we noted also that this is this uh, volume documents the rise of uh, and the arrival of John Buscema on the title, who is one of the most important Avengers artists in all of Avengers history. Um, he he illustrated most of Avengers forty one to eighty five you know, with some some breaks in there, uh, and then he also did all but one issue of Avengers two fifty five to three hundred. Um, so you can get that later run of it. So it's very notable and also unusual for an artist to have kind of two very long runs that are both well regarded in very different eras. Yeah. Um, and you can you can get um, 264 to 285 of his second run uh, in other epic collections. So in, in the Under Siege epic collection and then the, the one that follows that I can't remember its name. Um, uh, Judgment those, Day. Those two epic collections. Yes, exactly. So both very good volumes um, and you can see his work there as well. I did learn another uh, interesting fact uh, about um, his artwork. If you go to the back matter of this volume, you can see his character sheets um, where he, he kind of sketched out a few of the, the characters uh, on the Avengers. So Hercules, Captain America, Quicksilver, Hawkeye, and Goliath. Uh, it's at the start of the back matter in this volume. There apparently were specific actors uh, who were references for his work. So Hercules, um, and I have not seen too many classic films, so other people, I, I, but I did Google image search and these seem to generally be true. Hercules is apparently based on Steve Reeves. Quicksilver is based on Fred Astaire. Okay. Captain America is based on Burt Lancaster. Okay. Hawkeye on Anthony Quinn and uh, Hank Pym on Roger Culp. <laughs> cool. Uh, that'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I'll have to Google search some of those names as well. So that I can, so I can see that. That's very cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, what, what were your thoughts about this this first issue in the in the volume? 
this first issue was uh, I found that this these first few issues actually were a little hard to to kind of get into. I don't don't really care about Diablo, uh, and he's not kind of the the larger than life character that he becomes later on as well. Like he doesn't have a costume in this one; he doesn't have that mask that right. he wears. Uh, right. And it just seemed like a I don't know. Actually, I shouldn't say that I didn't like it in completely. I liked the ending because I um, once the other Avengers show up, it became much more exciting. And the the fact that he actually got away with it and had a kind of a good plan was uh, was 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 kind of neat to see. Um, but it just took a long time to get there, I thought. And once Giant Man was fighting Dragon Man and stuff, it's like, oh, man, it's just going on for pages and pages, and I just don't care. <laughs> right, right. I I love Dragon Man as a villain. This is not his most interesting appearance. He right. doesn't, they didn't quite get into the, they kind of reference it a little bit in this story about how Dragon Man is not inherently evil, and he's just kind of mindless and does whatever he's told to do, and yeah. that's obviously developed a lot more later. I'm also reading right now Matt Fraction's FF run where he's wearing like glasses and you're reading a newspaper <laughs> yes, and like watching right. the kids of the future. So yep. it's very different than this, uh, where he's wearing these weird brown shorts and just punching people constantly. Um, but uh, but yeah, so you you do see some cool uh, imagery from John Buscema, uh, but I agree it's it's a little underdeveloped. This is not the highlight of the of the volume. I also found that I think that Roy Thomas is just still finding his feet here, and so there are, there are points like on page twenty three of the Epic Collection when Scarlet Witch says things like i need not be told what to do hawkeye for for am i not the scarlet witch and that just doesn't sound like at all even like how stan wrote her um no. so there are just moments like that throughout this book where i'm like okay he's still figuring things out uh, i did appreciate the artwork because not only does uh, john busema do a good job but uh, the colorist who is it here i'm assuming it's george bell as well he did the inks but he's also a colorist george rousseau um is his actual mm. name yeah and uh, he uses a lot of red background. So once you get into the fight with the Dragon Man, uh, there is a lot of red, just like plain stark black, or sorry, stark red backgrounds. And they really mm-hmm. make the action feel like, I guess, exciting. Just the simple fact that we have the red backgrounds makes it look more exciting. So I thought there's that's kind of cool. Right. I don't think we've seen that really uh, in great uh, abundance in the previous issues. Right, I would agree. Sometimes those are the backgrounds in, in some of the other issues have actually clashed against the the colors of the, the uniforms or the rest of the artwork. So, yeah, I agree. Um, I think that works well. Um, and it adds to kind of a sense of intensity and urgency. And he definitely gets better at um, at this later, but you do see the start of uh, Bushama with those kind of classical poses. So the characters, you know, look like, you know, almost like a, uh, you know, Raphaelite painting or something like yeah, that. Yeah. In, you know, in kind of a sketched out sort of way, which which he, he, he grows on that uh, even more as he's as you go on. Uh, would you want to move on to the issue number 42? Yeah. Yep. So issue 42 uh, is entitled The Plan and the Power. Um, once again, inked by George Bell, um, as he's credited here. Um, and in this issue, um, Hank and Jan are captives of Diablo and Dragon Man. So the Avengers launch a rescue mission. Meanwhile, the Black Widow is continuing her top secret mission for S.H.I.E.L.D. In this issue, you see um, an interesting development in terms of the interpersonal dynamics, which is kind of the rise of Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver as sort of leaders, uh, because Hawkeye and Hercules continue to bicker with each other so much. Um, the Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, who have kind of historically in this book been kind of the young former criminal upstarts, seem like they have to step into a role of leadership, which is an interesting kind of character development here as well. Yeah, and I think that one of that's one of the big things in this book is the development of those two characters in 
general because they have been, like you said, the young upstarts. It just And they've been pushed to the side. They're only used for their powers. They don't have personality. And mm-hmm. in this volume, Roy starts to, to give them actual depth and actual character. And we'll see that come out later on, especially just before we get to the uh, Magneto story in this volume. Yes, yes, that's that's correct. Yeah, Quicksilver in particular has some very fascinating character shifts as this volume goes on. Um, the, the one one thing that I laughed at that came up in this um, is that it's, so let's see here, I think it's on page 28. Um, we see, note that this is a, a personal battle, um, which is used over and over and over again uh, in these in these older Silver Age comic books. Yeah. Um, so Diablo hold, holds two Avengers, and it is by Avengers that they should be rescued. So anytime you want an excuse for, well, why don't we just call all the superheroes in the Marvel Universe? It's always because it's personal, um, which <laughs> is a, it's a little convenient. Well, and even within the Avengers sometimes, it's like Hawkeye is going to go rescue Black Widow for something and they're like and everyone's like okay why don't we go along along and Hawkeye's not like no this is a personal issue and Captain America's like yeah we we have our own personal lives so you can just go and do that by yourself and we won't interfere <laughs> Right. Every time it's just unquestioning acceptance of that. Yeah. We can't argue with that, even if it's a terrible idea. Um, so that's it's a little bit of a plot contrivance. But um, but yeah, you kind of just you kind of just learn to accept that. One thing I found funny in this issue was that Diablo has has made himself a whole army full of dragon men. There's got to be dozens of them. Yeah. How long did that take him? I don't know. <laughs> a long time. But he doesn't <laughs> use them in this in this issue at all. It's like, why introduce no. that element of uh, of his plot? if they're not going to like come to life and try to attack the Avengers like there's no reason yeah. for them to be there and it didn't even like come close to happening it's not like no. they were all about to be powered up and then at the last second no not at all it was it's a very like uh, misuse of what the Chekhov's gun or whatever that <laughs> what the plot rule is called <laughs> yeah right yeah you see and it's a really cool illustration too it's on page 29 of the yeah. other collection page 4 of this issue you see all of the dragon men lined up there and it's like oh man that's gonna be crazy when they have to battle like, and then it just doesn't men. happen <laughs> nope. Yeah. No. You also on that same page, right next to that, that's a very John Buscema face. That Diablo with his hand up in the air and he's like grimacing and he's exaggerated like yeah, facial yeah, yeah, that yeah. totally that looks like classic John Buscema. Some of these faces don't quite work. Like on the opposite page, Reed Richards doesn't look quite himself. Obviously, this is hard. Who you know how much of this is the inker, how much of this is the penciler, but but there's flashes here. You can see his um, his talent peeking through. Um, well, and I think the curb the the Reed Richards. <laughs> is trying to be a little Kirby-ish. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, Buscema would go on to have a lot more uh, drawing time on the Fantastic Four. He uh, also had two long runs on that title, so he drew like <laughs> 107 to 130, um, and then also from about 296 to 309, plus various other things. Yeah, and that wasn't the his best period at that point. No, yeah, that's. I would not call that his. I, I think his. I think his peak uh, that I've read personally is that second run uh, on Avengers, um, with illustri- uh, inked by Tom Palmer. Uh, yeah, and I think Tom Palmer has a lot to do with the success there too, because. The two of them, yes. a combo, like anybody with Tom Palmer, I think is just fantastic. Yes, yeah, he's he's incredible. There's there's evidence on um, on Google uh, of like, it'll show like pencils pre Tom Palmer and then what Palmer did to them afterwards, and it's, he's a transformative, yep. really impressive. So uh, the page, let's see, I think it's page twenty. 
20, excuse me, 32 on page 32 of this epic collection. Yeah. I think there's a green arrow joke. Um, so Hawkeye, it's in the, um, in the middle set of panels on the right. Um, Hawkeye says, uh, he's complaining about how he's not famous enough. Uh, and he said, maybe I should paint all my arrows one color or something. So I think that's a green arrow joke. Um, <laughs> it could be. I think it's Hawkeye complaining he's not famous enough. <laughs> Yeah. And then the other uh, thing that I thought was really notable about this, see this come up over again, is I've heard in multiple places that John Vishama did not like drawing superheroes, um, which is too bad because he's really good at it. And I've heard that various writers tried to give him non-superhero things to draw to keep him happy. So here you see an example of that, where uh, Hercules uh, kind of uh, goes off on his own adventure against the Dragon Man. Mm-hmm. So that's not something that's inherently superheroic. It's just a it's just a classical mythical figure battling a monster and you see that sort of thing happen a few times here so I wonder if that's an example of uh, Roy Thomas trying to keep uh, Big John happy. That could be although at this point in his career he's just kind of starting. I don't know if Roy needed to bend to the the whims of a famous penciler at this point uh, because he wasn't that famous of a penciler. Right I think before this he had illustrated some like classical stories or something like that Um, but but yeah I I don't think he was um, super famous or super in demand yet. Yeah, That was not my impression. But it's always good good when when the writers and the pencilers talk over what their interests are and, the, and then play to the strengths so uh, and i of don't course. know roy also being new at this time only have been around for a year or so um they're probably both like you know let's make this the best we can because we both got something something to prove exactly and i do think that that fight scene pays off on, on page 35 of the epic collection that two panel sequence at the bottom where hercules is standing there in the mist and then dragon man's fist comes out of nowhere that's an <laughs> yeah. awesome two panel punch right there he he's, he draws action very well yeah, and at the end of the, toward the end of the issue when they have their big fight at, at the end is is really good too. Uh, and toward the end of this issue, Captain America pops in out of nowhere to save the day. Uh, although he doesn't really save the day, he just pops in and says, "I'm here, guys." <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, he does do grab anything. his hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. It, I do. I was surprised by that. I had forgotten that that happened. Um, and I it, there's there's not it's not foreshadowed really. So it does kind of effectively come out of nowhere. Um, the one thing I think that Roy Thomas does really well in here is he he takes three different scenes at once and interplays them, which really builds the tension. So there's there's the Black Widow uh, story that's happening. Um, there's Hercules battling against Dragon Man. Um, and then there's also just the Avengers coming to rescue um, uh, to, to rescue Goliath and, and the Wasp as well. Right. So, um, so the tension really builds because um, page 10 is where we see Hercules attacked by Dragon Man uh, and that does not uh, resolve itself. There's not a return to that scene until page 17. So that's a fairly long chunk of time that we're just wondering what happened to Hercules which I thought was different. Mm-hmm. We also got to see uh, Black Widow show her stuff a little bit here. Yeah. Um, as she takes she she her shield training has meant that she is actually not affected as much by the psychotron. Um, she's just playing playing possum a little bit so that she can uh, escape from her little prison. And then she takes out the bad guys. Uh, all of these this team of uh, random soldiers that are there. And this is kind of more right. action than we've seen Black Widow do kind of ever. Usually yeah, she doesn't in, get in as involved. In the last epic collection, she like there's one time she would like hang upside down from the ceiling and surprise somebody or something yeah. like, but it was very minimal and usually just a panel at a time and here she takes on a whole horde of charging uh, soldiers yeah so it's I think it's showing that she can uh, hold her own in on the Avengers if she were to join the Avengers yeah yeah definitely um, and uh, yeah and as she kind of 
And she will eventually join the Avengers, just uh, not not quite at this time yeah. in Avengers history. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on issue 42? No, let's move on to issue number 43. This is called Color Him the Red Guardian. A nice yeah. old cover with a brand new villain. He says, destined to be the most talked about supervillain of the year. And I don't know that that actually came to pass. He certainly has <laughs> not really made uh, made waves in the uh, the history of the Avengers today. No, no. I mean, it is it is hard to be the most talked Not to spoil anything, even though I'm about to. I mean, he <laughs> dies fairly quickly. So <laughs> yeah. that uh, that makes it a little hard. Uh, also, his most... Um, his most powerful weapon is his belt buckle, so that's also maybe not the strongest feature. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but he's about to. Uh, but be, he's about to have a new lease on life uh, because he's going to be a main character in the upcoming Black Widow movie. Yes, so, yeah, yeah, I saw that, um, and I'm sure that means that he'll make more appearances in the comic books because they like to play off of the popularity of the movies and such. So we'll see if he becomes the new next talked about supervillain of the year. Huh. If he throws his belt buckle at someone in the movie, I'll be very happy. <laughs> that'll be fine i think they might leave that that part of his uh his superpower set out uh, the one thing about the red guardian uh jumping a little bit in the plot is that i thought was was really interesting actually is that he is way more nuanced and complex than most of the kind of red scare characters are yeah. in marvel comics at this time um so we, we can we can get to that as it, as it happens but um i do i i was um kind of surprised by that that he's uh treated with a lot of nuance and i think one of the themes of this epic collection overall is that Roy Thomas's villains are uh, fairly compelling. So Diablo starting out was not the best example of this, but as we go forward, getting into Magneto in this epic collection, um, and then also uh, also getting into um, what is his name? Is it Typhon, the, Typhon, the yeah. individual that? Yes. Yep. Not necessarily the most nuanced. All of those they're pretty unequivocally evil, but at least you get into their motivations a little bit, and um, you know it's not just taking over the world it's there there is something a little bit more going i was complaining just in the last episode how all of the villains were just the over the top bombastic um, bow before me kind of evil villains and while you do while you do get that in some of these villains as well at least we have a little bit more variety so i've uh yeah i I did enjoy that yes yep yep so this issue, issue 43, Avengers 43, does start with something very unusual. It starts with a happy Quicksilver. So, <laughs> you know, his, his, he, and he's also flying, um, which is something that Quicksilver doesn't normally do in the comics. So he can shake his legs really fast, he found out, and he can fly through the air for short distances. I tried to do some research, because uh, I've read a lot of Avengers comics, and I don't see him doing this very no. often. No. I don't think it was ever technically retconned away. I, it seems like it was just decided that it was silly so people don't really use it (laughs) well i was surprised that he doesn't even use it in this story i'm like it's the same thing with the dragon man dragons why introduce an (laughs) element uh, that you spend so much time on uh in the the earlier part of the story if it's not going to be a plot point later on in the issue right right like somebody's falling from the sky and we don't know how to save them but quicksilver has a new power that he can use Yeah, conveniently enough. Oh, or man. like a villain doesn't know that, so he like throws him out of a plane or something. Yeah, right, exactly. Like, something normally would happen, when you, but not this time. Not this time. And I think that's just... He does just... steal Captain America's shield and Hawkeye's bow. Right. Though, so that, that at least. <laughs> yeah. But I think that just goes to show you uh, that Roy is still learning the game here because I don't think he would make that sort of mistake even a few years down the road. He's not going to uh, waste precious pages on something so pointless. Right, yep. Um, an interesting little pop culture 
note on page 51 of this epic collection, there is a poster in the background that says Fight Slammer Sauron versus Freddy Frodo. So a little Lord of the Rings uh, reference. So, <laughs> That's right. Um, I didn't Roy Thomas is, is famous, and he, he talks – there is a um, – kind of a bio page in this epic collection where he talks about being a fanboy who became a uh, a comic book writer and i think that's a evidence of that so somebody you know lord of the rings fanship uh, coming through there in his uh, and i'm assuming well actually i don't know because that could have been big john putting that in it could have even been um george russo so but um but who knows well lord of the rings somebody's very popular at this fan. time in this era so everyone probably loved it yeah and there was also another page in this epic collection where captain america was, was sitting there reading uh tolkien i think he said <laughs> yeah. um so 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 at that point at least uh that's probably coming from roy thomas so uh yeah in uh in this issue um you also see the uh, leadership of captain america uh in a very kind of interesting way so hercules um does not like taking orders from captain america so captain america and hercules fight and captain america dodges him very effectively and so hercules respects him now which is a little yeah. little odd but captain america i guess figures him out and Yep. learns how to get his respect. Now, in this issue, it's Hercules and Hawkeye that travel over to somewhere in Asia. They don't specifically say. It's probably China, but they just say somewhere behind the bamboo curtain, which they say over and over again, bamboo curtain, bamboo curtain. Uh, yes. I like this duo of Hawkeye and Hercules. It's very interesting because they stayed in character. However, mm-hmm. usually Hawkeye is the goofball while, you know, Captain America or whoever is the straight man. In this combo, Hawkeye's the straight man and Hercules is yeah. kind of the, the comedy, you know, the, the goofball. Yes. It um specifically, re- I, I, I said, I have a note here specifically, page 45, love the Hawkeye and Hercules dialogue. Uh, and also it reminds me of Dragon and Rocket Raccoon in Guardians 2. That's the dynamic <laughs> it reminds me of. Yeah, yeah. So Rocket so Rocket Raccoon is kind of, even though he's a comedic relief character often, just like Hawkeye, he's also brooding a lot of the time yeah. in that movie, just like Hawkeye is here. Uh, and when he's going to go on kind of a, a, a mission, he, Hercules is just up for anything. He's up for adventure and fun. That's kind of what he's in it for. That's right. Um, and in, similarly in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, like when Rocket Raccoon steals the batteries, Drax thinks it's hilarious just because he loves the adventure it's, and it's uh it's a similar dynamic here <laughs> it's great and i can totally see that sort of thing playing out if they were to bring hercules into the uh into the movies as well i hope they do at some point yes uh and, and then going back to this this talk of the bamboo curtain and then you get into this you know the russians teaming up with i mean maybe the, i don't know if it says specifically russians but it's probably supposed to make readers think of russia and china um teaming up together there is a, there's a blog called Super Mega Monkey that goes through a bunch of different Avengers uh, or Marvel Comics issues, and there's this long debate in the comments section there um, that talked about the split at the time between China and Russia, yep. and if Marvel Comics knew about that because oh, I'm sure this, they did. this is talking like they're kind of allies, but at this time in history, those two communist nations were um, kind of antagonistic towards each other. So uh, I, I don't know if that all matters too terribly much. But um, but it's not necessarily representative of what was happening globally. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's uh it's it would be interesting to think about whether there was even though they're at odds, there's still a conspiracy underground with a few people who like the communist groups getting together and <laughs> trying to right. pool their resources. Right. Like oh, you have the nuclear subs, and yeah. we have this um, you know crazy psychic weapon, so maybe we'll put aside <laughs> our differences and team up for now. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And we've got the Russian Captain America. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, and then. 
we do see the strength of this uh, psychic weapon, the Psychotron, on page 61, quite dramatically. Oh, man, what a great page that is. Yeah, absolutely awesome. Big, giant one-page splash uh, of... <laughs> and, and Hercules almost looks excited. He has his arm up in the air and his fist out. And he says, the many-headed Hydra! It's a really cool shot of that. And this is also getting to John Buscema having a chance to draw something kind of classical and fantastical. Right. And she does so well. Whenever I see a page like this, I always think to myself, I wonder if the art still exists and who owns it right now. <laughs> yeah. That would be an amazing original to have. And, and you were speaking of the color earlier. This is another example of really strong color, I think. Um, you know, you have the, you know, even the billowing clouds in the background, you have those, I was going like, to purples mention. and yep. blues are really beautiful and, and really make your eye uh, draw on the dark Hydra figure with the flames. Yeah, I, I just really like composition. Well, and the underbelly is a lighter green, which uh, gives mm -hmm. the whole thing some contrast because um, otherwise uh, it brightens up the and it really highlights the dark the the heads with the with the glowing red eyes by having the lighter underbelly so yeah i mean right. it's it's a really really great coloring job especially since they yep. have just such a limited color palette exactly because uh, you know a more traditional background color like a just a you know a bright yellow or a bright red wouldn't have worked yeah. because of the the other elements that you need to use here so, so nice creative to solve that problem totally yeah. um okay so why don't we keep on going to the second half of this issue here on uh it's issue number 44 the valiant yep. also die uh, i like this cover because it gives you yeah. uh, every single Avenger at the, at this time. Uh, oh, oh yeah, Hercules is still there too. Uh, on the on the cover, in action, lots of action. Everyone doing their own thing. Plenty to look at. It's a, kind of a cool looking yep. cover. Yeah, yeah, I like it as well. Um, and I think I, I actually think, and I know he gets a lot of flack, but the Vince Coletta inks I think are very effective on this cover. So his, his like kind of thin thin mini thin lines um, add like a layer of detail here um, that that I think really works well. Okay, so I want to say that I I have given given Vince Coletta a lot of a lot of uh, grief uh, through the various podcast episodes that he appears in and mm -hmm. but he's great in this issue in this volume yeah I really yeah. like his inks over uh, John Buscema's uh, he doesn't fall into any of the regular um, just bad choices that I see him make before I, I think that there is some really fantastic inking coming out of his out of his brush in this in this yeah. volume I was very surprised I, I would agree yeah and I mean so one of the you know one of the knocks you hear um, repeatedly about Coletta is that um, you know he would sometimes erase background figures we don't know if that happened at any point in here the other thing in defense of Coletta is that you hear that he was brought in when a book needs to get done like oh can you do this in two days right and he he's would fast do it. so yeah. that was just what he did he was just yeah exactly he was known for being fast um, yeah. but I actually think the faces here in particular um, some of the faces here look better than um, John Buscem has looked at almost any other point in this book prior and you know even the forms the way he's doing shadow here this is I think I agree a really strong job Coletta. now one of the things is I don't know how how uh, tight John Buscema's original pencils are because if he's penciling mm -hmm. it like really really tight then uh, Vince is maybe staying a lot closer to the original art and stuff because I know if he's if he's penciling let's say uh, Don Heck on Thor and Don Heck is only doing rough layouts and then Vince Coletta just kind of breezes over it because it's late or whatever a lot of the times mm -hmm. he doesn't do the huge spot blacks or or 
really spent a whole lot of time doing feathering on the shadows or uh, it's just a lot more sparse and it really really shows yeah. uh, in this case he's looks like he's actually spending time on it right yeah there's some there's some really cool panels in here um so i mean on page 70 of the epic collection which is the third page um of this issue that kind of apocalyptic scene of the of the wave crashing into the city there's a ton of detail in there you know on the faces of the people looking horrified you know on the opposite page from that even uh you know those other kind of apocalyptic images yeah and then jumping ahead to one of my favorite pages in the issue on page uh or panels in the issue on page 87 uh which is the last page of this issue um page 20 of the issue that um the alexi in the spaceship there it looks very 2001 a space odyssey all that technology is done perfectly the coloring again there is fantastic it is i I just i I thought that was a really strong panel um and certainly not sparse on detail or effort no and so it's the the uh did he ink the previous issue as well let me just double check here i think the previous one was by russo oh yeah you're right it was um yeah no it's the it's the 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 tsunami crashing in on the people that that panel was the one that really really stuck out to me it's like holy cow this is Mm -hmm. fantastic um and then if on page 73 there's one panel of uh these guys inside a tank looking through their periscope yeah and that one looks really great too just with all the shadows and the detail and such it's like technology interlocking yeah and then on on the next page on page 74 there's just one panel in the right in the middle of the one soldier directing other soldiers where to go and it's just uh just the the layers of depth in that one panel uh indicated by the the shading and such uh is it's just fantastic yeah it's yeah really really cool stuff here um yeah i like this like this issue a lot um art wise um but yeah and and then in 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 terms of the uh in terms of the plot um i also thought this was was fairly compelling um you know this this storyline um like i had said earlier one of the strengths of it is the nuance of the villain um so so you usually when you had these communist stories you would just have you know people who just wanted to destroy america and these you know opulent capital and they would have these kind of set things they would say but uh red guardian is, is a character who actually has um he has a, like a strong sense of honor and he also doesn't betray his country he has a love of his country um so it's a kind of a nuanced character there that you wouldn't normally get and at the end of this story he actually um he actually saves captain america's life and uh he you know he dives and he he knocks the gun out of the the bad guy's hand um, saving saving his life mm-hmm. now in the previous issue i had mentioned that uh, Black Widow really showed her stuff in that one. Uh, she she went into action and took out all those bad guys, right? In this issue, yep. she doesn't do anything. And I thought that was a real misstep yep. because this whole story has been her story arc. Of, it's been her redemption story of of yep. uh, making amends, going into her old country, her home nation wh- that she is that that has first of all kind of given up on her, um, and then mm-hmm. uh, and she's trying to prove her worth to America, who is her new home and then she doesn't do anything she's captured she's knocked out she's whatever and there's one point where on page 83 where she says she's going to walk up the wall and sabotage the psychotron Mm -hmm. but she doesn't do it and she says uh so if you look at this uh the second panel on page 83 is page 16 in this issue she's climbing up the wall and she says um i must chance a shot now so she takes a shot but we don't know if it does anything and then later on in the the next panel uh this guy uh one soldier gets knocked into another soldier and the soldier takes an off like he just kind of shoots wild and then it says yeah. at the bottom uh, when hercules comes in i'm free where where did all these flames come from and the guy says um 
uh, what is it? Her- Hercules says, uh, our, our host little pop gun must have hit something flammable. Yeah, yeah, there you That's go. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So. And so it doesn't even credit Black Widow as the one who sabotaged the Psychotron and cause it, causes it all to go up in flames. Yeah. And it's like, that's too bad because this yep. was supposed to be her story. Right. And she was making difficult choices. She chose to not tell Hawkeye the truth because she didn't want to ruin the mission. Um, you know, she had to lie to him. She had to let herself be thought of as a villain because she was going off and doing this, this heroic thing yeah. to redeem herself. And yeah, it's a satisfying way for her personal art. And then uh, the ridiculousness at the end here is like all of a sudden the lava shows up out of nowhere. <laughs> And they're like, oh, they yeah. <laughs> must have built their complex on a dormant volcano that's now erupting. <laughs> yep. Oh, boy. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, good. get some cool flames, though. It's always cool to see those those flames and the, the melting stuff. Uh, it but does yeah, look it, awesome. Uh, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't quite make sense. Um, <laughs> so plot-wise, not the, not the strongest of issues, but... Uh, <laughs> but but I do I do like the action. It was illustrated well um, by Busema. In particular, Captain America's fight against uh, the Red Guardian on page seventy. Um, when Red Guardian grabs um, Captain's foot on his back, like you can that is a that's a tough thing to draw, and you can feel that like that looks painful. The yeah. way he's illustrating that, and that's just not a, something that uh, most illustrators would even try to attempt. Um, where and that's Busema's um, biggest strength is. His mastery of the human form. He really has it down. Okay, so we can move on here to um, uh, the next issue in this book is Avengers Annual Number One. Uh, I always ask myself yeah. when I see annuals that are in the middle of epic collections, like, does it have to be placed here specifically in this one spot? Because because uh, they're not part of the actual run of Avengers, but this one is very very specific in its timing uh, yes. because of what happens with Black Widow is mentioned in this issue, and then the the issue after this issue forty five. Uh, talks about stuff mm-hmm. that happens in this issue in the in the annual. So yeah, it has to go in this right. Spot. The splash page of the next issue refers back to this. Yeah, so it's it it, it is um it does kind of kill the momentum of this epic collection. Um, it I did split up the reading of this uh, annual over a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, I think there it says that this is the longest Marvel comic thus far uh, <laughs> in Marvel comics history, and it feels uh, the longest. And you can it does feel very long. <laughs> uh, it is. <laughs> It is 49 pages, I think. Yep. Yeah. 49 page free for all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think this is my least favorite issue in the epic collection. Yeah. Um, at least that I've read this. And, uh, and not just because I, it's long, uh, but it also just right. doesn't really make sense in a lot of senses. There's, there's just a lot of no good reasons why people are doing things. And especially no. at the end, stuff comes out of nowhere. We'll get to that. But I, I did like the fact that Roy split it up into five parts and had yes. uh, had each villain like the the basic story of this annual is the mandarin has gathered uh one two three four five of the villains that the avengers have fought recently together so that yep. uh, he can send them to different corners of the world to gather diamonds for his ultimate plan to take over the world <laughs> for his big diamond yeah <laughs> so first of all there's no reason why he needs di- big diamonds for or he needs more diamonds for the big diamond because in the end none of the villains get the diamonds and he still is able to use the diamond yeah. machine that he's created. <laughs> so there's no point to that. Um, and then the the team of Avengers all split up as well uh, to take care of the different villains. And so we have little vignette stories that are told throughout this, uh, which make it easier to read because you can split 
split yes, up the reading. Right. It reminds me um, in that kind of plot structure, like a um, Silver Age Justice League story where they would take each of the characters and split up into twos or threes and yeah. then go off and do their own thing. And the plot kind of is like that with a giant diamond machine that needs more diamonds, but it's not quite whimsical <laughs> enough to pull it off. I actually really like the late 50s, early 60s Justice League stories because they're so they're so surreal. It feels like a fever dream. Yeah. But <laughs> but here it's it, there's a lot of things that are kind of supposed to be written in a serious way, but they just don't quite connect. And yeah, I, I didn't think they quite pulled it off. Here. No, this issue is a drawn by Don Heck. Um, so he had taken a break from the title in order to draw this giant 49 page uh, issue. Um, and that's that's when John Buscema came on. Um, so his art here, I think, is is solid. It's not it, it, after having John Buscema for a few issues, it's a little jarring to go back to the Don Heck art, but it's not it's not terrible. No, I thought that the some of the art was some of the best stuff here. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's definitely different. Um, one of the things, the most notable thing about this issue is that it's bringing back uh, three of the characters who have kind of been missing over time, uh, most notably Thor and Iron Man, but also Captain America, who had been missing from the pages of Avengers for the last last few issues as well so it's bringing the old team and the new yeah. team together and this is one of the very first times the avengers has one of the issues that's like let's bring all of the past avengers back into one big story because they'll do that on a regular basis right they will and as and going forward when that happens nowadays or you know within the past 10 15 it gets <laughs> it looks ridiculous because there's like 50 yeah. people in a room together and that's basically avengers endgame right there right yeah with all the people charging together yeah so when i was like in middle school um the curtain Busick Avengers were coming out and right. issue so that's like 97 I think that started issue one of that it had like the the front cover folded out and had every single Avenger <laughs> yeah. like summarized and then when they met they met in like a lecture hall like a college lecture hall it looked like because everyone had to sit in like <laughs> a seat and it took an auditorium to do it it was kind of I, I, I love that stuff but but because um it was kind of cool I was like oh Thor and Iron Man are back in this issue but then they kind of everyone goes off on their own adventure so it you kind of lose out on a little bit of that team up element because you don't yeah. see those old Avengers interacting as much with the new Avengers. Yeah, not, it's not until the very, very end when when they get back together again. Yeah. Uh, 96, on page 96, we see Jarvis, whom we haven't seen yeah. in a very long time, but it's like, oh yeah, they have a butler, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I almost I almost had forgotten that he was had been introduced. Yet. I totally um, did, yeah. I don't know if just because Iron Man is back here, but yeah, I uh, you know, I, I like Jarvis. He's a good character. There's some, there's some good Jarvis stories over the history uh in, in avengers history but mm -hmm. uh i i do think that don heck draws iron man very well he is he's kind of famous for his run on early iron man yep. um and that is one of the characters who i think looks the best of almost anyone here. um it's particularly this iron man splash page on page 107 of this epic collection um i really love that splash page i think it looks cool it's great like kind of 60s classic pop art comic books right there yeah, so the Mandarin himself is, he's not usually, especially in these early days, the most compelling villain. Uh, he's one of these guys that likes to just kind of sit in his throne and, and pull strings. And so that's yep. what he's doing in this issue as well, is sending these minions to do his own work. And he's convinced them all, even, even people like Enchantress and Executioner, who I would think... 
there's no way that that they would uh, become minions of somebody else. Like they're the ones I think yeah. who put together the Masters of Evil back in the early Avengers issues, right? Yeah, yeah. I think they came to Earth and they they were plotting. Yeah. So to have them be minions of of um, of Mandarin just seemed a little out of place. And they have one scene where Mandarin makes a hollow projection of of uh, Namor the Submariner to trick the guys into thinking that he's destroyed the Namor, and that's supposed to convince them, uh, Enchantress and Executioner, that he that they should obey his orders. <laughs> yeah, I yeah I can't imagine. I mean, Enchantress is incredibly powerful. Yeah, and I can't imagine her just like I feel like she could whip up a spell that could just kill Mandarin pretty quickly. I would think so. so. I I didn't completely buy into that that whole thing. Um, I I did like on I just was rem- reminded on page ninety eight. Um, Hercules says. By my beard, uh, whatever for fools these mortals may be, I am ever astounded by their means of transmitting messages, which yeah. I thought was a very good description <laughs> of humanity. We were pretty, we're sometimes pretty stupid, but we're really good at being able to send each other messages. That That's right. Very <laughs> focused on. <laughs> so he yeah. accurately diagnoses the modern condition of man. There. <laughs> Another big plot hole I thought was when we get to part five and Quicksilver and Captain America jump in a ship to outer space and go to Mandarin's outer space space station Mm -hmm. they make no mention of the fact that he's in outer space before this we have no idea i figured by the way that they were talking that mandarin was just still in china or something where he always is yeah it seemed like he summoned people to him yeah so they never said it but that's what i assumed as well and then all of a sudden they're like we have to get to space so that we can crack down the mandarin but like how how did they know he was in space I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So there, I don't know. It just made, again, made this issue not great because it was just like, what? This just doesn't make sense. Nothing in, in this, <laughs> nothing in this makes sense at all. No, no. Yeah. And it's just, it's just fight scene after fight scene after fight scene, which is fun. And there's highlights to that, but it does get a little old after a while. 49 um, pages. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a whole lot of fighting. And the pacing's weird. Some pages there's like, there's these giant giant panels um which are cool like on page 122 when ultimo comes out of the lava yep. which i was confused by that whole sequence because he came out of the lava and then they defeated him by throwing by him throwing in him in the lava yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so again, you can't think too hard about this. And then on the next set of pages, so 124, 125, you have these kind of really cool, um, narrow, tall pages. Um, but but I don't know if this those panel decisions are always made on. Like, it doesn't necessarily seem to be a, um, a conscious decision always. It just seems like things bounce around a lot, and it it results in this very uneven reading experience where some some sequences take a long time and they're very dense, and then other things just by, and it, it doesn't seem to have a natural rhythm to it yeah i also wonder if roy was trying to replicate the success of the sinister six uh, which is famously in the first spider-man annual like we get together all of spider-man's villains to to team up and yep and get together. And I mean, we've seen that already in Avengers with the Masters of Evil, but here we have it in the very first annual, trying to replicate the same sort of thing with all of the past Avengers villains coming back. Uh, the yep. difference is that the all of these Avengers villains don't necessarily have a beef with the Avengers, like a personal beef. They're just kind of mad at them right. because they've been defeated. Whereas all of Spider-Man's villains deeply, personally hate Spider-Man. And so team up yes. made sense yep 
Yeah, and and in that you have those famous giant Ditko splash pages, and they oh, kind yeah. of do the same thing here, where you have these, you know, splash pages of the Living Laser or Voltimo or yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't quite work the same. That that Spider-Man Annual Number One is incredible. Yeah. I I my my son would ask me to read that to him over and over. Oh, again. nice. Um, yeah, he that that issue is I think it really uh, really connects well. But yeah, the Avengers um, just the the Rose Gallery is not built up in a way at this point. That, no, that really. You know, as they go on, they would get a lot like, I mean, Kang has been introduced, but he's not um, kind of the force that he will go on to be. Ultron is not, you know, is not there yet. It's just, these, you know, the Masters of Evil have not fully powered up yet. Their, their rogues gallery is not where it needs to be at this point. Yeah, I mean, you just take a look at it as if, if Mandarin, first of all, Mandarin's not an Avengers villain. Uh, if nope. Mandarin is going to gather the worst of, of the Avengers and he picks the living laser <laughs> as one of his characters... <laughs> You're not on. A, you're not in a yeah. good start here. <laughs> no, no, not really. Um, and you know, and then the Enchantress and Executioner. I think were originally they're formidable, four, uh, but yeah, no, they're originally they're more Thor characters because yeah. they're Asgardian. Uh, and then Power right. Man and Swordsman, uh, Swordsman or whatever. Yeah, it's just uh, we haven't quite reached that status yet. And I think it's like we're the character creators here are still creating villains for uh, well for any of these characters, whether it's um, Fantastic Four or X Men. They're creating them all the same they're pitting human against human but the teams need mm-hmm. more than that and i think it's not until jack kirby and, and stanley have uh, the concept of galactus there's realize oh yeah our yeah. teams can actually take a bigger threat than just because right now they're just pitting individual people against a team of super beings but we need more than that and that's why kang is a formidable force because he is more than yep. just a human um and Ult- ultron definitely more than just a human and you know things like galactus for sure but these all of these examples of these people in this annual are not worthy of the avengers time really correct yep and and just the overall plot like we touched on you know he wants to have a giant diamond super weapon so he can control the world it's almost just like a like you know super villain mad lib it doesn't make quite make sense it's just he wants a big weapon from his space fortress and he needs diamonds to power it so he can like (laughs) take over the world and make people fear him it doesn't it's not a also a compelling reason um for him to be doing going to all of this trouble really yeah um i i was shocked though by the way that the mandarin was defeated normally supervillain huh. defeats are not I, I mean that was kind of horrific he he is sucked out into the vacuum of space and on page 135 you see his limp body getting pulled helplessly <laughs> yep. through like torn metal into space and then the Avengers just like oh, gotta close that hole with a diamond and like, it's, it's pretty Eddie I think it's just even the caption um, as he is swept away like a tiny chip of wood in the the grip of a relentless torrent, which is pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty described as yep. destruction. It's great. Uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> and they do, I think they mention that, well, he did survive like an atomic blast before, so who knows? He might have survived, but it, it looks pretty bleak for the Mandarin at this point. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> some nice bonus features in the back of this annual is what I, I always appreciate about annuals is when they give us some really cool uh, behind the scenes stuff and there's the, there's two biographies autobiographies yes. written by Don Heck and Roy Thomas about themselves which is nice and I, I know a bit about Roy but it's nice to hear it in his own words mm-hmm. and I don't really know anything yeah. it was about funny. Don, Don Heck he's a funny writer yes he is yeah 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 
And then, and then I always love seeing the cross-section yes. drawings on page 140, 141. Me all too. the little details in Avengers Mansion. That Yeah, I love that stuff. I'm a sucker for all that. I wish they'd still do it today, but they just don't. No. And then a bunch of splash pages as well. Um, Hercules, uh, one with uh, three, the three female characters, and one with the old and yep. new Avengers. That's kind of cool, too. Yeah. Yep. So overall, it was too long, um, <laughs> yeah, but not, it was it was cool to sense. see some of those. No, it didn't make sense, but, but it was cool to see those Don Heck splash pages. Uh, and and now uh, now we kind of get this epic collection gets going again. Yes. Um, and and in a little bit, we're about to hit some of the peak issues of Avengers thus far as a title, which is exciting. So uh, but yeah, up next, we have issue 45, uh, which is Blitzkrieg in Central Park. Um, and in this issue, we have the return of the super adaptoid who has a vendetta against Captain America. Um, and the Avengers are all assembling for Avengers Day, uh, which I saw I saw a comment as I was looking for kind of a synopsis of this issue. Somebody said, why would any citizen ever go to Avengers Day every <laughs> single time supervillains attack it? Like, yep, it's one right of the most too. dangerous things you could do as a person. Because the supervillains know that the Avengers are guaranteed to be there. So they can um, exactly yeah it's it's just a perfect opportunity <laughs> yeah the, the one thing to, to that point about um of people being there is you have uh you have this idea of avengers as celebrity and you know because of this this time in history too i mean you've had elvis you have you know beatles uh beatlemania and stuff so it's kind of cool to see roy thomas working in this idea of superheroes as celebrity which obviously will be is an idea that is will be revisited many times in superhero comic history um but it, it's cool to see him working with that idea well and speaking to that this is where quicksilver's uh, character really develops because on the second page of this issue um on page 146 of this epic collection he and, and scarlet witch have a really good conversation that we they haven't talked about at all in the pages of avengers at all the fact that they are mutants and and yeah. the relationship between humans and mutants and one of the things also at this time the first uh, couple dozen issues of of X-Men, uh, the X-Men were sort of treated as celebrities too, but then slowly Stan and and then Roy started to introduce the concept that humans started to fear mutants. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's partly why they haven't talked about it yet, because that concept just didn't exist in the comics at the time. But now it's an actual thing. Uh, we've seen yeah. the Sentinel story. I think the Juggernaut story has passed and all that kind of stuff. And now people are starting to fear what's going on with the, the mutants. And we have, and this is a great conversation because uh, um, Scarlet Witch is very much on the side of, don't worry about that. We are Avengers, and we're going to do good work on behalf of mutants with the Avengers. And Quicksilver is like, no, we. why are we busting our butts to save all of these people who are our, technically our enemies? They hate us. They want us dead. And yep. so, yeah, we have a good... Uh, um, now we see Quicksilver, who really only says token lines up to this point. Now he's got a personality. Now he has actual right. thoughts of his own and that kind of thing. So that's kind of cool. Cool. Yeah, and that's going to get teased out too. It's it probably oh, yeah. takes a little while, a few issues to build that up, which is which is kind of a nice thing to see as well. Yep. Um, so this, I I don't entirely know how the super adaptoid's powers work, but he can make himself look like a regular person. And I think if he's a like he he's watching the Avengers, and so even though some of the Avengers leave, he absorbs some of their powers. 
Um, it's a little bit of a plot contrivance that like Thor and Iron Man are really impatient, and so they leave before any of the fighting starts. <laughs> and to be fair to them, it does take a long time for this issue to get going. There is no action whatsoever until page eight of this comic, um, which is kind of a long time to be. St- and also, the characters keep talking about like when when is this all going to start? And so when the characters <laughs> keep saying over and over again, it's like nothing's happening. This is boring for eight pages in a row. It is nice to have that character development stuff that you know that we were just talking about. So there there is a function to it but um but it's it does drag on a bit before the action starts now in this one uh one of the funny parts here is that they um giant man shrinks down and and jan shrinks down and so the super adaptoid also shrinks down and there's a mini battle like a fearsome battle going on but no one can see it happening and the and captain america is like don't don't step here don't step here <laughs> <laughs> yeah that page is ridiculous yeah page 156 yeah and they're all just looking at the ground and Scarlet Witch's big eyes and that yeah you can't can't see anything it's yep. kind of absurd it's pretty funny I thought that was great uh, yeah. One other thing here is, yeah, you were talking about the super adaptoid's powers. You don't know how it works. And it, I don't know how it works either because before the super adaptoid was created specifically with the powers of the original Avengers. Yeah. But in this one now, all of a sudden he has the speed of, of Quicksilver and the right. the archery ability of Hawkeye. And the one that is most bizarre to me is the hex power of Scarlet Witch. Like, how do you even go about mimicking a hex power like that? Uh, doesn't like that's comic books for you right there right. because the other ones are like oh this character has like arrows so i like it's you know assuming it's a, it has some a learned skill right? can shift and create yeah yeah or like um you know if you have blast then the machinery reconfigures itself in a way that can develop you know use repulsor blast but scarlet which taps into i mean obviously nobody knows how our powers work at this point in time and they change from issue to issue yeah but you know the modern understanding is she kind of taps into some kind of chaotic energy of the planet or something some such thing like that um which presumably and it's an adaptoid robot would not be able to do but uh, yeah <laughs> yeah i was not too thrilled with this issue and coming straight out of the annual this is definitely kind of the slow point in this whole epic collection uh it started off with a couple of good issues and then it kind of got slow and now it's it's slowly ramping up to where it's going to be really really great but we have to get there yeah i think 47 48 49 and 50 that that little run there is really fantastic so um, you know, and even next issue, there's some highlights, but next issue has its has a couple of low points as well. But uh, but yeah, no, it, it was a fine issue though. This is the issue where the wasp. Uh, actually, I think it was the, maybe the last issue or so. The wasp has come into some money. Uh, one of her relatives had passed away, and she inherits five million dollars. This I think right. was an important move yes. for wasp because she has been a character whose sole purpose is to be a side character for Hank Pym. She has had nothing to contribute mm-hmm. really other than that so by giving her money now all of all of a sudden she has her own personality she has something that is her own that's unique to her and uh, like good on roy for developing her beyond what stan had created right and she she's kind of like fun and she's you know life of the party socialite um yeah she's not not afraid of you know flaunting her wealth clearly here she shows up in like a sports car and stuff so yeah it it creates this kind of an interesting character for her i would agree with that and hercules officially joins the team in this issue as well yeah yeah and he it's really cool to see him having shifted from this kind of you know kind of gloomy you know banished to earth you know god who kind of resents his his state to to end this issue he really uh likes them as a team and is starting to view them as friends so it's nice to see him join the team yeah okay 
we can carry on to issue number 46, The Agony and the Anthill. Uh, this is, uh, you think this is the first appearance of a brand new villain, but it's actually not. Uh, the villain in this right. one is the Whirlwind, who previously appeared in pages of Tales to Astonish as the Human Top. And I can tell you that his costume was not an upgrade, but his name was an upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the <laughs> new costume uh i don't i'm assuming busama was responsible because busama is back now so we're back yep. to the john busama um with uh, vince coletta again on inks um and i don't like this design it's kind of ridiculous it's this weird it doesn't explain why he has that weird helmet strap thing on I guess maybe so if he runs into stuff that it won't hurt his head or something, <laughs> right. but it looks like it would be impossible for him to see or breathe in that. Um, that especially, and Pusama is so good at drawing dramatic panels, but on page 169, the introduction of the whirlwind costume, it's ridiculous. It's looking. a very awkward <laughs> panel. Just yeah. the, the body twisting in the weird way. So you don't get a good look at what the costume looks like or what the helmet looks like. Um, no. It's just, and, it is odd. And no background. Yeah. It's just this red splash behind him. And everything else in this issue had been very like like a lot you know some characters wearing like the Black Widow and you know regular clothes. Same thing with Jan, um, you know the char- and then you know all the characters changing into their like civilian attire. Like it's all very um, toned down and all very subtle ca- interpersonal. Th- and then all of a sudden there's this just metal-headed weirdo yeah. with like uh, straps on his chest and it, it doesn't transition well I don't think. But <laughs> um, but you do but you do get to see that. You know, Hercules is kind of befriending the team. Uh, you see Captain America there reading uh, Jared Tolkien. Um, you know, Quicksilver and Captain America going to a baseball game, people going out on the town. It, it, there is some, uh, it looks like it's fun to be an Avenger, which I think is important because we haven't gotten that up until here. It looks like it's miserable to be an Avenger before this. Like they would always fight constantly. Um, so right. it does build some kind of that camaraderie, which is fun to see. On page 171, um, oh, I should say that this whole plot is just. Uh, uh, basically, it's one whole issue of the whirlwind busting into Hank's lab and trying to get his revenge, and yes. and and they they just fight the whole time. Uh, the cool part is that they shrink, and whirlwind throws them into. Um, I, I can't remember what the excuse is. For some reason, they can't get back big again. Um, he throws them into their yeah, I think ant it's because farm. they shrink them down with that ray instead of normal methods. Oh right. And so also the ray prevents them from having like proportional strength of an ant or whatever they normally have when they're tiny. So they get attacked by ants, and this ushers in kind of a new era for Giant Man uh, toward the end of this issue. Uh, but what I wanted to say yep. was that there are a couple cool plot points where one one is that um, the is that Jan is hired a chauffeur to show her around, and it ends up being yep. the whirlwind in disguise. I thought that's cool. Yes. And then we'll see in the next issue that he's still the chauffeur. And I think that's, that's right. brilliant. Like, yeah, let's keep that story going. That's, a, that's very, very cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's like terrifying and creepy and yeah. she's just being driven around by the supervillain who hates her like that's that's compelling and and i want to see more of that kind of thing and this is where we're seeing roy start thinking about his long-term plans and he's not just doing the two issue stories that stan was doing before now he's thinking what's going to happen several issues down the road uh, that i can start setting up now and he's doing a lot of that now we'll see that with hercules yep. as well uh, yep. and, and even the conversation with quicksilver talking about being a mutant that happened in the last issue is going to pay off a few issues down the road here. Yep. 
Yeah, um, you, you do finally, I guess, see the payoff of Quicksilver being able to fly because he does fly through the air here to throw Bomb into the ocean. What? So, uh, where? Um, where is that? Um, on page one eighty-three. So what? Two or a few issues later, <laughs> after it was introduced. One eighty-three. Um, so he. Oh, is yes. that flying? I didn't think that. That I thought he just busted out the window and ran over to the ocean. Uh, does it say he flew? It's a little unclear. So my, but but he does jump out the window and then he is over the ocean by a ways when the bomb explodes. Yeah, but he can um, run on water, right? Hurl- he could, yeah, but he said he managed to hurl it downward with less than a second to spare. Oh, okay. And he <laughs> okay. says he's over the East River. Sure. Well, and okay. then he does fly back through the sky. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll give it that then. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it's that fast-flying freak Quicksilver, it says in that panel. Okay, I missed that there. <laughs> right. But I think I think the point still stands that it was not a logical introduction of that flying power. No. It, whatever that issue was. That's right. Because it didn't pay off for, you know, months later yeah so uh but but yeah and, and you're right he he hears the he hears the humans who um who who I, I like how a couple of them are kind of dressed like hipsters and beatniks and then a couple of like you know kind of regular 1960s folks so that was a nice touch by Bushama. Yeah. Uh, but uh but it does kind of develop that that plot line of him hearing the humans call him a freak and being resentful towards them so that, yeah. that was that was us as well um and, and let's see here uh the other the other note uh, on page 178 uh, of the Epic Collection, Captain America knocks himself out by diving headfirst into the floor. Ouch. Um, it was not, the, I just, I thought it was, I'm a big Captain America fan, so maybe I'm defensive, but I didn't think it was a very uh, graceful way to pick, you know, <laughs> the, the Sentinel of Liberty, just diving headfirst into the floor. So, I, Well, and even uh, if he was going to not miss Whirlwind, <laughs> he wouldn't have yeah. struck Whirlwind with just his head, like, jumping at him like that. Like, it doesn't even make sense that he would be in that position <laughs> no going down uh the other nice this the other one thing it was nice, I, I did like all the ant fighting because that was cool it looks like out of it's out of a b movie um i did like how the wasp had a very active role and like she killed the queen of the of the red ants and yep. she you know rode the ants out of there up to the surface like she had a very active role and you know she's fallen into that that trope that a lot of the female characters do in the 60s uh where the writers write them as being constantly kidnapped and captured and you know not like like we talked about with the black widow earlier um, her, her kind of plot falling away and her not being very active in determining her own destiny. Uh, here, the Wasp does uh, have a very active role in destroying the monsters, which is cool. And at the very end, um, Giant Man decides that he needs to return to being able to, to communicate with the insect world. So he creates a new little cyber helmet. And so he yes. now is Giant Man, or sorry, he's Goliath. I keep calling him Giant Man, but he's actually Goliath. Yeah. Um, he's Goliath, but also on the very special with the very special powers of Ant-Man and he gets a new costume that has the little antenna on the top of it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, uh, Hank Pym's powers change constantly, uh, even early on here. Yeah. Um, it's a little hard to keep track of it all, but I actually like those antenna on the costume. I think it looks cool. I was a fan. So next up is Avengers 47, uh, Magneto Walks the Earth. So in this issue, Magneto and the Toad try to travel from space. They're on a kind of a planetoid to Earth. Um, Captain America shocks the team with the big announcement, and Hercules uh, is horrified by what he sees when he visits his home of Olympus. So you have to kind of been reading X-Men to to know what's been going on. Magneto actually hasn't been seen for a very long time. He he mm. showed up multiple times in the early issues of X-Men to the point where I'm like, come on, let's get a new villain already. I'm tired of Magneto. Yeah. And then yeah. he has this strange interaction with a cosmic being called the Stranger. And the Stranger 
ranger takes Whisk's Magneto and Toad away to wherever the outer reaches of outer space. And then in issue X-Men issue 18, Magneto returns saying he got away from the stranger. And then at the end of that issue, the stranger whisks him away again. And then we haven't seen him for (laughs) like two years or something like that um, of publishing time, two years. And so he's been stuck on this, this island or this floating asteroid or whatever it is out in space for a long time and has no way to get back home. So uh, I guess in this issue, we're introduced to a new character called Dr. Whitman. And he is, he has made a machine that will harness a magnet rays and uh, and Magneto in, in order to communicate with other life on other planets or whatever and make Magneto right he's trying find, to like talk to aliens or yeah something. and he actually ends up talking to Magneto but he doesn't know it and Magneto hitches a ride on those waves and brings him back to Earth which is how he gets back here so yep. um, yeah um, and this issue is um, again pencils by John Buscema uh, and inks by George Tusca yeah um, and I actually really like the way these inks look um, he it, they kind of have a golden age flavor to them they really do um because the lines are thick and really intentional um and and really clean um and the the kind of the hatching is very separate and clean as well i really like how this kind of artwork looks actually i know not everybody might be a fan of this but i love golden age art i love anything that kind of looks like it um the, and there's spots here where it almost oh not i know not quite it's not as far out as this but like almost looks basil wolverton ish um and i i really am a sucker for that kind of hmm, that kind of yeah. vibe but at the same time you still see John shine through and I think in particular on that page 192 when you see uh, Scarlet Witch or sorry Black Widow's face um, she's like sad after Hawkeye storms out of there totally a throwback right. to like John Buscema's romance kind of comic days and that that that's kind of thing 100% um, yep it's, a, it's kind of a good marriage of the, the two styles there the colors are also fantastic on this issue um, and I on the Marvel like Wikia I these colors were credited to Stan Goldberg. I don't know why that is. I don't know if they read that in an interview somewhere. Um, but I thought the colors were really remarkable and really popped out uh, in this issue in particular. Yeah, Goldberg did a lot of coloring for Marvel in the 60s. So it's not a surprise yeah. that he is shown up there. I don't know why they didn't co- credit the colorist in these days. That's kind of weird because it's kind of the only yeah. missing piece out of the artwork. Yeah. Like, why not credit the colorist as well? And it's a ton of work back then, too. You had to cut all the color subs. Like, it's yeah. not it's like how much how much how hard the coloring would have been back then um but yeah anyhow uh and then also i actually really liked the i know we don't normally talk about lettering in this but um the, the lettering was credited to a, an lp gregory um who i found online was is, is gasper uh saldino oh, okay um, and i thought the lettering was really fun and bouncy and there's a big difference between the bolds and the kind of regular uh font and and it's and just, just larger it too the 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 right. letters the and, the and the balloons are just way bigger font than I don't know if it's Artie Simic or whoever's doing the other issues in this book um, right but that just goes with the, the the thicker lines and it fits with what we see from the inks for sure yeah exactly so uh, so Cap's big announcement in this issue is that he he quits he's done he doesn't want to be an Avenger anymore um, he kind of wants to have his own life and he says he like acts angrier so he wouldn't have to get their pity um, <laughs> yeah. when he when he leaves the team uh, Captain America is not normally 
later, so I thought that was a little bit out of character, but but um, well, he's also is, a proud character. Yeah, and this is also kind of going on what's happening in his own book at the time, uh, because he does quit being Captain America so that he can focus on his human his human side of things, his human life, and get back to being a normal person. So this is another right. instance of the Marvel bullpen at the time being very particular about what's happening in other books concurrent to this. And so when Captain America yep. has to step out of the other, his own title, then he can't be in Avengers as well. Right. Yep. And uh, and Hercules goes off. He you know even though he likes being an Avenger, he wants to know what's going on on, on Mount Olympus. And um, he he says, since I have been named an Avenger, only one thing remains to mar my joy: mine unhappy exile. Yep. So on page one ninety three, he's climbing up the mountain. And on the next page, one ninety four, we have this this awesome page where he reacts to seeing the destruction or the the desertion of Olympus. And then he sits in the abandoned city. There's beautiful uh, sculptures everywhere and great colors, and he sits there in shadow and sadness which i thought was a really, yeah i love that really his cool face panel. is in shadow there yep uh you get some of the greatness of john buscema just as a kind of character his mastery of, of the human form on page 196 with magneto sitting on his little stool and he's just sitting there he looks like he's full of rage and power and he's gripping his cape and he's kind <laughs> yeah. of crouched over in a weird i just love that stance i thought that was really cool it is weird that he's just kind of sitting on a small stool like that <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a strange choice. It almost seems like Buscema had some kind of art book where a character must have been doing that or something. I'm yeah, thought, or it's ah, like a it's an old statue from one of the masters or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I like that. But uh, and and then throughout this issue too, you have the the interesting interaction between uh, Magneto and Toad, where Toad is trying. He's this kind of sycophantic. He's he's trying to appeal to Magneto no matter what, and Magneto keeps insulting him and hitting him and kicking him. And yeah, it's. Magneto is clearly a very bad guy, and that comes through very clearly here. Uh, you also get to visualize the backstory of uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, where Magneto saves them from being um, killed by the, the residents of their village, um, and then how he kind of lords that over them. Um, yeah, so you kind of this, this is where the plot of Quicksilver being resentful towards humans is uh, kind of brought to fruition, where Magneto wants them to come back and be masters of evil again. Quicksilver is resistant to that. Uh, I, I mean, Scarlet Witch is very resistant to that and Quicksilver is at first but but you know that Quicksilver has this resentment towards humans that will be uh, further developed as well. Uh, I do like the way that John Buscema draws the toad and even draws Magneto. It's like they he gives them a lot more bulk I think to to their characters. The toad especially is a yep. little lumpy and uh, and I just like that he draws characters differently. They don't right. they don't all look the same. Right. Yeah, kind of that, that point I made early in the episode where he was using specific um, actors as character reference for the Avengers. Um, you know, he, he I think he puts a lot of effort into that and making all the faces very unique from each other. He doesn't have the, you know, some artists, they, they have like, um, like John Byrne face. Like John Byrne is an incredible artist, but he has this reputation of having all of his characters. There's a couple of faces he yeah, draws over. Again. That's right. Dusema does not, not suffer from that at all. Uh, moving over to issue number 48, The Black Knight Lives Again. And this one is drawn by George Tusca, uh, not just ink, yes. but also drawn. And you can get in even more of a Golden Age sense, specifically because this right. is a Golden Age artist doing all of the work. Uh, I do like yes. his stuff. I, th I'm, I think I'm most familiar with his work later on, maybe in the 80s or so, when he was kind of more at the end of his career and not as strong yep. anymore. But uh, this stuff yep. here, this is a good issue. There's a lot of great... Uh, 
just great poses and great layouts. Um, yeah, there's some classic just cartooning here. He yeah. was, I, I think, he was the uh, last artist I read on the Buck Rogers strip right before this. Um, so he has those chops of a classic cartoonist. Yeah, uh, you can really see it. Like on page two ten, you have that that Quicksilver's hand slipping out of the the cuff is a really well drawn just illustration with some simple line work. You have uh, right below that toad bounding off. Um, I love also the lettering bound bound as he yeah, jumps away. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's just it's just really classic cartooning, um, really clean work. Uh, in this issue, Dane Whitman, the doctor from the previous issue, uh, realizes that he made a mistake by letting Magneto back to Earth, and so he tries to um, warn the Avengers. The only way he's going to do that to get there in time is to use his uncle's suit of armor and his flying horse. And so he and his uncle happened to be the original, uh, or not the original, but the previous Black Knight. And now he yes. is going to be the new Black Knight. But he arrives there, and the Avengers are like, "Oh no, it's the Black Knight! We got to attack him!" And so they attack yep. him. There's a big fight, misunderstanding, and in the end, yep. they don't even resolve things it's like black knights like i was gonna do something good but you guys just attacked me so i'm out of here guys see you later yeah 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 it uh it was kind of nice to have that normally there's the you know it's the classic trope of like the superheroes get together they think they're you know one of them's bad and one of them's good and then they team up you know, for the greater good yeah. yeah yeah and he was like yeah that was terrible i'm not ever teaming up again <laughs> <laughs> i really like the black knight's uh costume i like his helmet too it's so cool yep. i just love this costume design um yeah, uh, but yeah, overall, really fun issue. I thought that I thought it was solid. I thought uh, it, it was it was cool to see the introduction of the Black Knight and to get that that kind of backstory on his motivations as well, um, and the Hercules plot continuing to develop as he seeks uh, the reason why um, all of his his family and all the gods of Olympus are, are missing. So it just kind of kind of yeah. moves things along. Nicely. It does. And another cameo from Jarvis, whom if you didn't watch read the annual, it's been like literally years since we've seen Jarvis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, so uh, next issue after that, uh, the plot kind of rolls forward. And these issues flow a lot quicker. Like, yeah. The, you know, even at the start of this epic collection, things would kind of slog on. And here it just like, it just keeps flowing very naturally. Um, Roy Thomas's pacing is really he's starting to really get a master of it. I really love this a lot. And this issue here is this is where we find out more about Magneto's character. And Roy does some really good work of developing his stance on the human mutant relations. Um, this issue is yep. called Minus the Power, and we have very much two major stories going on at the same time. And Roy does a good job of balancing the stuff that's going on with Hercules and Typhon. Typh what's his name? Typhoid? No, not Typhoid. Ty Ty yeah, Typhon. Typhon. And, yep. and at the same time, the stuff that um, Magneto is doing with the UN. He visits the UN yep. in order to... He, he does it kind of as a way to prove or to trick Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver into staying with him. He's like, I'm not... I don't, I don't want to dominate over all of, of uh, mutants. Let's watch what I'm going to do here. And I don't know if it's actually a trick or if he... like. He, I think he actually does want to... like What he wants is an own his own sanctioned island that he can call his own that doesn't right. have any human input in, in it at all, which yep. is kind of what has now happened if you're reading X-Men currently with the whole Jonathan Hickman stuff and Krakoa. This is exactly what's happened. And uh, yeah. the seeds of that kind of are planted way back here in 1968. Yeah, it's it's really awesome. And even the cover kind of foreshadows what's going to happen in the issue nicely with, with Magneto being the puppet master, uh, having Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch 
um, being connected to the strings. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and the art in this issue, I think, is the best art we've seen. Oh, yeah. Um, thus far. Uh, it's it's really incredible. John Buscema inking himself. It's um, incredible. Everything from that. Yeah. From that splash page, the appearance of Typhon. Everything is perfect. I, I, on page 235, where Magneto shows his um, his giant magnetism um, kind of magnetically induced perpetual motion machines there a lot of artists of this time period would try to kind of replicate uh, Kirby tech uh, which and Kirby tech is amazing but nobody can do it like Jack Kirby can Uh, and he doesn't and there's there's elements of that here but Buscema does not really try to make this look like a Kirby uh, drawing he does his own thing and he adds a ton of depth and shadow and it's it's really remarkable and if you go to uh, page 240 which is page 12 in this Mm -hmm. issue uh, and just the the scene at the top where the guys are pointing fingers at Magneto and like all of those faces are solid and really well rendered they're very realistic Uh, and the the, the one at the bottom where the guy's dodging an arrow it just uh, uh, the the realism here is great and I definitely appreciate seeing seeing that kind of thing come out uh, in these artists who just know their craft so well right yeah I, I called that page out specifically as well in my notes it's incredible just yeah the point and the magneto magnetically hurling that that microphone you know at the, the foreshortening is me- amazing there you feel that microphone flying at your head yeah and then the arrow smashing it into bits at the last second yeah and you'll at this time in marvel comics history you'll start to see like you know the rise of uh, and i think he he probably has already been there but the neil adams on x-men you know gil kane will be on the scene shortly you know you have john buscema continuing to develop so i, I mean my my favorite artists ever are you know ditko and kirby i love that kind of classical cartooning um but it is nice to have a variety of styles at the publisher and it is cool to see the rise of these realists as well yeah and this page here that we're on uh it's just the layout the composition is really neat too because the whole top panel with the pointing it, it, all of the action mm-hmm. is drawn to the left and then yep. if you go down magneto swiping the mic- microphone to the right and then you go yep. down again and the arrow is coming from the right over to the left so you have a a zigzag your eye goes in a zigzag yeah. form like it's perfectly um perfectly composed to guide you through the entire page it's really really good right and also just it, it makes everything impactful and jarring so you yes yeah, swing to the left and back to the right and then back to the left and it just you really feel that impact yeah in every single one of those movements yeah and uh so and here um you know like you said you have magneto um going to the united nations to kind of and he manipulates the situation as it develops um and then he in kind of his the peak of his moment of villainy he takes um and he f- makes the, the security cards there the police officers at the united nations he fires their guns so it looks like they're firing the guns and he directs the bullets to hit a uh, scarlet witch in the head um you know it's a glancing blow um but she's badly hurt um so you have quicksilver standing over her and this is on page 242 of the epic collection standing over her in agony um she says she still lives still breathes but it was humans who did this to her humans uh and magneto is and he says you know goliath is behind you he's going to attack you and then quicksilver wheels around and and fights back and you just have magneto manipulating every single little bit of this um as it unfolds and and quicksilver's motivations have all built to this point uh, where he's slowly building up his resentment of humans and now in, from his perspective the humans have shot his sister his beloved sister uh and, and they're at fault for what has happened and this is what makes this this issue so great is that the the drama is real like it's melodrama it's human melodrama and it's not 
just a page full of fights, which, you know, we read superheroes because we love the fights. Uh, but yeah. this one is so much more than that. And the action is there, but it's such a different type of action. And it's very, mm-hmm. very, very good. Very well done. And it's it's an excellent issue altogether. It is. And, and the Avengers are in, in disarray. So at this point, basically, with Hercules off in his adventure, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch have, you know, defected or, or left. So you just have Wasp and Hawkeye and Goliath. And, and on page 245, they're just sitting at a table and they all look miserable. None of them, they're not talking to each other. They're just sitting there thinking to themselves. Um, and, and they tell you know, Captain America is left. Yeah. And then to conclude the issue, you have this just, just raw elemental battle between uh, Hercules and Typhon. And he's, you know, they're, they're hurling pillars at each other. And this monster is summoned out of nowhere. And it's incre- this incredible character design. It's like this kind of gorilla creature with horns. He's just, he's so much bigger than Hercules. And yeah, it's, it's really good cartooning. And Buscema's, his ability to spot blacks and to, to exaggerate figures in really impactful, creative ways is really, really incredible here. Uh, back on page 245, where those the remaining three Avengers are sitting at that table not talking to each other, one of the things that Goliath is thinking about is the fact that he no longer can grow big. And mm-hmm. I thought that came out of nowhere. We had no previous hint that that was a problem that he was having. And now all of a sudden he just he... says, uh, oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, all of a sudden I can't grow uh, to 10 feet. I can only become small yeah i'm trying to think was there any mention of that when he was in the anthill or something there was no was mention it... that i that i knew of yeah he he has free, frequently hank pym has um you know these either he's stuck at being too tall or he can't he has to only be tall for 15 minutes or it's this it's kind of a remnant of those stanley built-in weaknesses where his his limitations are constantly shifting yeah um, but yeah and, and he wonders is goliath dead forever um yeah and and hawkeye is thinking about after today's defeat the whole world will know captain america is no longer one of us um so and he his mind is on the is on the team kind of too um so he's concerned about how the public is going to perceive the Avengers as well, which is a, a nice continuation of some of those Hawkeye themes where he really desperately wants to be a leader. Um, and I think he probably feels bad now that Cap's gone, the Avengers are falling apart. Yeah. Okay, we'll wrap up our episode with uh, one more issue here, number 50, to tame a Titan. Yes. And uh, first of all, yes. it's cool that we have gotten through 50 issues, 50 se- sequential yeah. issues. So that's kind of a cool little milestone yeah. there. Uh, this one, Hawkeye, Goliath, mm-hmm. and Wasp, they all head to Olympus to try and find Hercules. They're like, well, we're there's only three of us now. Hercules has got to be somewhere, so let's go and find him. And uh, yep. on page 251, Hawkeye says, if he didn't turn off his homing beam in the ship, finding him would be such a cinch. And then the next very next panel, I guess they found out that he did. He didn't turn off the homing beam after all or something, because they're they're now following it. So there's a little bit of a jump. Yeah. Yeah, it, I think it was just one panel later. So on, yeah, the... Next last panel, if you didn't turn off his homie beam, finding him would be a cinch. And then on the very next panel, if the homie beam holds up, we'll find him. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, yeah, that might have been a, a slip of some sort. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, they get over to Olympus and they're going to try and help Hercules. Well, I mean, they don't really know Hercules is gone. They don't know what's happened to him. All they find is this guy, Typhon, who's decided that now that he's conquered Olympus, he's going to set his sights on Earth and he's going to fight. Uh, he's going to conquer Earth as well. So right. they... Uh, 
they engage him in battle and Hercules shows up and eventually they overtake him and uh, and the Olympians are all restored back. They're, they're taken back out of the, what is it called? The Realm of Shadows or something. Um, yes, exactly. It's some kind of like limbo type of yep. like netherworld, I think. Some sort of netherworld. It's Zeus, not Hades, but it's some no. sort of netherworld. Yeah. And Zeus realizes that Hercules is worthy of uh, becoming back, coming back into the fold of Olympians. And so he says right. goodbye to his fellow Avengers. He is officially gone as well. I am amazed yep. at how many, how much rotation is happening in the team in these early issues of, of the Avengers. Right, yeah. You, there's very little consistency here. Um, you know, I mean, even in the Avengers from like, you know, it was it was hardly, like right away, Hulk was gone. Yeah. It's kind of been a, a, a feature of the team that there's no consistent team, which is very different from something like the Justice League where, you know, you'll, you'll have, oh, green arrows here and then, you know, like way later, Hawkman will be added and then way later, other, like Red Tornado or something. The, you know, the Justice League, which is kind of this group's DC counterpart is very resistant change, which is not the case. Yeah. Well, and yeah, exactly. And members of the Justice League would come and go, but the core of the Justice League always has kind of stayed the same. Whereas with the Avengers, right. you would think the core is Iron Man and Thor, but they, they're gone. And then yep. like some of the mainstays that we know as mainstays, like, like Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, or not Quicksilver, but Scarlet Witch, like she's gone now and Captain America is in and out constantly. Yep. Uh, it's it's yeah. a Far Cry from uh, later on when a, a creator will come on, they'll put on their team of Avengers and they'll stick with it through their run and it won't really change until another creator comes on and wants their team of Avengers. And, and I think that's... One of the things I do like about the Avengers is is the fact that they can take various like D-list characters and make them really important parts of the plot. Yeah. Um. And, and it's it fits. There's a lot of examples of that in Avengers history. So you know the the uh, Roger Stern run, which is one of the greatest runs of Avengers ever. A lot of the strength of that is the development of you know Monica Rambeau, the development of Wasp as a leader. Yep. Um. You know even even his use of characters like you know like Star Fox or Black Knight, things like that, and Hercules then as well. Those it's it's Avengers writers throughout history have found really cool ways to take B-list characters and make important parts of the story. Uh, and you see that here, and even in these early days. With the overall arc of um, of Hercules reminded me, there's there's very famous videos on YouTube talking about this kind of archetype of uh, like Jonah and the Whale and Pinocchio. I think it's Jordan Peterson talks about all of this. It's the same arch- story archetype here, where you take a character who's uh, cast away from the father and because of some shortcoming or you know just fallen, fallen astray, fallen away, and then he has to go through some some kind of transformation and kind of become full in order to regain his, you know, to become a real boy, to regain purpose. And then, and in, in the kind of final act of heroism, the char- the protagonist has to descend into some sort of netherworld, so into the belly of the whale or down here into the shadow realm and rescue the father. And that's exactly the same thing that's happening here. So it's this kind of classical storytelling archetype that nice. um, that Hercules kind of lives out here. Um, and, and throughout this issue also, just the John Buscema art is absolutely incredible. So I looked up Typhon uh, because there was some sort of editorial note in this issue that's saying that, uh, oh, he's a real character. Look him up. We dare you. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so I did. And it was interesting to yeah. see just like the, the, the stories that are told between his his feud with Zeus and uh, uh, his relationship with a bunch of the different Olympian characters. And he apparently is the father of, uh, of Cerberus, the three-headed hound that mm. guards Hades. He's also the mm. father of, of the... Uh, of Hydra of the beast Hydra so I've seen and I did that I did the same thing and there's some illustrations and some modern versions of the character even in Marvel where he has like snakes 
coming out of his like instead of limbs and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, he's very much. A I also tried to look here. up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was later retconned or something or explained that this is some human form that Zeus had trapped him in. Or something. Ah, right. Okay. There's a way to explain <laughs> his kind of normal looking, relatively normal appearance. I also tried to look up on page uh, 252. There's that character Erinus or Erenius, however, however that is pronounced. It's that kind of bog looking creature. Oh yeah, right. Uh, that is a yeah. They're in uh, actual mythology. I think those are female deities of vengeance that don't bear any resemblance to this creature here. So oh, okay. Uh, much like with some of the Thor mythology, I think they sometimes just take a name and apply it to a different thing. Right. Um, just for the sake of conflict. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, overall, though, this this concluding arc, uh, you know, of this this kind of uh, this run here, I, I really I like this. These this these are my favorite issues. I think of the Avengers title thus far. Yeah. The only possible exception is I have a soft spot for like the introduction of Cap in issue I think four it is. But I mean, even that is kind of a silly comic that like the Avengers get turned to stone and there's right, an yeah, alien who's totally. trapped underwater. Like it's the, that issue is not as good as uh, is is it's easy to remember it. It's only the first eight, pa- eight pages that's good. Right, eight pages, and then after that it kind of turns into a wonky sci-fi thing. But <laughs> uh, you know, this little run of issues here, um, kind of from forty-seven to fifty, is a real peak of the title thus far. Yeah, and so that brings us to the end of our episode here, and I am really looking forward to reading the rest of this the last half of this issue especially when i flip through and i see black panthers showing up and stuff and yeah like, this is going to be really really fun so uh yep. and we'll we'll talk about this next week we'll be back next week to dive through the rest of these issues and uh and yeah i'm looking forward to it chris this has been really really great yeah fantastic thanks again for having me uh so for those of you who aren't part of my social media pages i encourage you to check us out on the you know the facebook instagram and twitter to find epic marvel podcast and join my the epic collection facebook page if you search for epic collections uh, you'll find us we're there Uh, and other than that keep reading these avengers comics and we will be back next week to finish up this volume and uh, see where we're going to go from there so thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time